0: hey everybody this is the badass motherfucker lance thompson uh on today's boondoggle with uh with bill and if you guys ever need anything hit me up
1: hey everybody thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our Today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Uh, As you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to. Uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at com. and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook Twitter, all your uh, social media platforms, as well as our YouTube channel, our Rumble channel, and our BitChute channel. Please follow, subscribe, comment, and download. And please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code Boondog10 at checkout. So, Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran owned and operated company as well. So, please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code Boondog10. Thanks for your time and thanks for listening.
2: Listen up! Hold on to your seats! Grab your girls! Grab your beer! What's going on? It's Tommy back and you're listening to today's Boondoggle. This is Mark Metcalf and you are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. You
3: are listening to today's
2: Boondoggle with Bailey
3: on Domain
0: Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time. Whoa.
2: Now it's
3: a I am Monty Heath, so I'm heath, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. Hey
0: what's up? It's John Boo Skillet and you are listening to
3: today's Boondoggle on Domain Cleveland Radio.
1: What's going on everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And a real quick housekeeping note, if you are watching us on YouTube or Rumble or the BitChute channel, please hit the follow and subscribe button. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes or any of the podcast platforms that we're available on, please hit that follow and subscribe button. Uh, Help us build up our numbers, show up in your uh, stream so you can catch interviews and conversations like the one that I'm about to have right now. Mr. T.J. Kreutzer of the We Defy Foundation.
0: How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we were able to get this set up. Um, um, you know, I became, well, we'll ca- kind of get into how I became familiar with you and, and sure. everything like that, but you know, usually when I, uh, have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a background on them. So, uh, originally, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Um, well, from the, I wanted to be an X-wing pilot (laughs) Nice. (laughs) when I was a little kid. Um, and, uh, that, that trench run that kind of stuck with me, uh, for a long time. And, um, I got into got a little older into my young teens and started getting into flight simulators and things like that. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, in Parma, and um, nice. when I was about, I think it was about tenth. Yeah, not too far, <laughs> right down the road. And uh, in tenth grade, my mom, I still remember this. I was I was going to bed or something. And she came up to say goodnight, and she sat down in the bed. And she said, "What do you think about all this flying stuff and these airplanes?" And these models that you're making. I, said, I don't know. I mean, they're cool. I, it's fun. She goes, Is that something you're interested in beyond just kind of a hobby? I didn't really know what she was getting at at first. Like, I don't, what do you mean? She, she said, Well, do you think you want to be a pilot? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I never thought about it. I mean, that's how do you even do that? That's like being an NFL player. Like, we don't know anyone who, who does that. Yeah. So she told me about um, the Air Force Academy and uh, said, you know, your your grades, your dad and I think your grades are probably good enough to go to college. And um, if you think this flying thing is interesting and something you might like to look into, then maybe we should look into a service academy ROTC because there's no money for you for college. So if you're going to go, we're going to have to find a way to fund it. And a service academy or ROTC would be a great way to do that. And I, I'm lucky she knew what those things were because I had no idea.
1: And, yeah, um, exactly. That's, uh, that's awesome. And then that, to be supportive, too, to see that you, you had an interest with that. So, you know, um, I ju- you know, just found out, like, right before he we went on that you were from the Cleveland area mm-hmm. um, originally. Yeah. So, um, you know, where where'd you uh, go to school out in Parma?
0: I went to Valley Forge High School. So it's actually Parma Heights where I spent okay. most of my childhood. We I was born in. Uh, I guess we are currently in, in Brook
1: Park, so I'm like okay. on the border. Yeah, it's <laughs> right there.
0: Yeah, we were. Yeah. I was born at. Um, was it Fairview Hospital? Is that still there? Yeah, Is that yeah, right? yeah. So I was me born too. there, and then yeah, and then uh, lived in Strongsville until I was six months, and then moved in with my grandma, who lived on uh, Chesterfield Road, while. We were waiting to move into um, the house on Bowerdale that we lived in. So this is, you know, by Pearl and Ridge, kind of in that Pearl Ridge snow, that triangle there. Yeah. Um, And that's, that is where I grew up. My both sets of grandparents lived within a mile of that. I biked all over Parma, all the way to Valley Forge to Parma Town. I mean, that's just how we got around. And that's, you know, what, at the time, that's what we did. You know, we just, I... I don't know how many miles I put on <laughs> my yeah, BMX.
1: Actually, I I grew up in North Olmsted and graduated from <laughs> North Olmsted High School.
0: But when when did you graduate? Uh 91. Do you know Bobby Kreitzer? Yeah, I think so. The name That's sounds my brilliant. cousin, and he went there and he is uh about five or six years older than me. And um we're now we're really getting into the third and fourth <laughs> ring, but so um fast forward through a bunch of other parts of my story i live in minnesota now and yeah. a couple years before i moved here my cousin bobby moved here so nice.
3: well, all of our
0: parents live in cleveland they're all still cleveland everything fans and here we are me and bobby in minneapolis
1: (laughs) yeah i remember the name i'll have i'd have to look check the yearbook or something yeah yeah uh,
3: yeah that's what i remember hearing
1: the name but uh yeah and it's funny too because valley forge my daughter's actually going to try see right now and she's in the uh uh music and they're doing a performance at valley forge on sunday
0: so oh wow (laughs) either sunday it's funny i mean you say small world but
3: it really is
1: yeah definitely
0: (laughs) And then um, do
1: you know when it, I mean, it, it sounds like it was kind of decided for you to pursue the, the pilot thing, but was there any other calling that you felt to, to serve your country?
0: Um, you know, and the only other component of that really was back in, I think I was in, I must've been about eighth grade, uh, when Desert Shield was building up. Right when it kicked into Desert Storm, I was with my mom in the car and I said, I think I want to do that. I think I want to help protect people um and that i so you know that that comment that you know no one else in my family had been in the military except you know my grandparents and all his you know my grandpa his brothers were all in world war ii but nobody in that middle generation went no one was drafted into vietnam um no one no one volunteered to serve so it wasn't there wasn't a big focus on that my family but my mom took enough mental notes over the years to i guess just kind of watch and see maybe there's a fit here and an opportunity for him. So she kind of helped um, make me aware of the possibility. And once I started to figure out and believe that this flying thing's dream was a possibility, uh, I went all in on it. And everything I did, basically from that conversation on through the rest of high school, I did with an intention of setting myself up to get a Air Force Academy appointment so that I could hopefully someday go fly fighters.
1: Nice. And And then um, that definitely motivated you for, to keep your grades up and.
0: Yeah. Grades up, stay out of trouble. Don't get arrested. Don't, don't drink on rage. I mean, all the, all these things, all these parties, all the stuff, my friends were starting to do, um, that I stayed out of because I, um, you know, my, we were kind of a victim of the rust belt stuff, you know, like we we had a a certain standard of living growing up. And then when the rust belt started, when the steel industry fell apart, you know, we, we were involved in that demographic, you know, that suffered from that. So, um, I knew to have the opportunities that I thought I wanted, I was going to have to, I I may not have a lot, a big margin for error. So I didn't want to screw it up. Didn't want to screw anything up.
1: Man, that's awesome. Yeah. You were uh, purpose driven and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, mission, mission focused basically already. Yeah before you went in. And then, so, so you get accepted to the air force Academy Mm -hmm. and then that was basically then your college after high school. And
0: yeah. So when I was applying, I had a liaison officer who was excellent. Uh, Every candidate is assigned an off an air force officer that helps them through the process and evaluates them and everything. And this guy, um, his name was uh, Paul Edwards and he I still keep in touch with him. He's, he's got to be in his 70s now. And he just knew exactly how to help me represent myself in order to make the most bang. Because my grades were good, but they weren't outstanding. Um, I didn't get in to the academy based on as much of my grades. They met the minimums and maybe a little bit above the minimums, but it was the extracurricular. It was his leadership stuff. It was Civil Air Patrol. I interned in a congressional office. I did all these things that made it very obvious that this is what I wanted to do. Paul Edwards told me if you want to fly fighters, you have to graduate, you know, probably at least in the top half of your class. And then you want to go be a sailplane instructor at the academy. And then you want to go to Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training. It stands for it's NGET is what we call it for short. And it's NATO's um, pilot training course, and it's in Texas. So NATO sends a bunch of like a bunch of NATO countries send their pilot training students there. And a chunk of the U.S. ones also go there. They go to other bases around the country as well, but this one particular one at the time, if you wanted a fighter and you graduated, you got a fighter. Everywhere else, it was you didn't know. You could be flying tankers or bombers or whatever. So if you, I wanted the, you know that that was a very selective process, and I wanted to stack the deck as much as I could. So um, when I graduated from four years at uh, we called the zoo. <laughs> um, I got that slot to Njept, and I graduated there in two thousand one with an f sixteen and then from there on i i I got that you know I got to be a, the fighter pilot that I had wanted to be and then during the whole process of the academy, is that like
1: kind of like your boot camp as well and military training?
0: Sort of the first six weeks that you're there is boot camp. it's done in the summer, so I left the day after my eighteenth birthday, and I still have a picture. At Cleveland Hopkins Airport, at one of the gates where you know everybody could come to the gate, you know this is pre September 11th. We had like 30 people come, like family and friends, and I turned around right before I went down there and I, I waved. And uh, there's a picture of me <laughs> waving, walking down. Um, and that was June 29th. And then um, I ended up going to a basic uh, that day, and it's six weeks, and then after that. Um, you finish that program, and then you get ready for the school year. So there's like a little bit of a transition, but the upperclassmen lead you through basic. There's some enlisted folks there that kind of act as like MTLs, like training military training leaders or or you know um, you know drill sergeants stuff like that. But for the most part, it's a leadership course for the upperclassmen too. So they're running your yeah. boot camp and everything like that, and then. Um, From there, you go into the school year and then it's four years of academics and then the summers you have military training, like you can be running boot camp for the freshmen, it can be um, uh, flying airplanes, jumping out of airplanes, all kinds of different kinds of survival training, Siri, um, all that kind of stuff is done in the summers, but the school year is an academic year, but it's with a military model, so you get up, everybody, you know, gets up at the same time-ish, you know, the doors open, or they can't open around the same time, you know, the Reveille starts. You get ready to go. You march to breakfast. You have breakfast as a squadron. You go over to classes, and then you're kind of free for the day to go for your classes. And then at the end of the day, you go, you know, back to the dorm, drop off all your stuff. You know, have you lunch in the middle of the day, too, as a, as a squadron. And then after school, you have if you're an intercollegiate athlete, you go play sports five days a week. If you are uh, not an intercollegiate athlete, you still got to play a sport. So they have intramurals that you do twice a week. And then um, the other two nights a week, you have like you know on plus Friday you have off, and then weekends are yours too. Um, you couldn't really leave the base. The more the older you got, the more senior you got, the more uh, ability you had to leave. Eventually, you could have a car, but you got privileges as the years went on. So like your freshman year, you weren't allowed to have CDs or anything like that. You weren't allowed to have video games.
3: Wow.
0: Um, and then your sophomore year, you get stuff back. Your junior year, you get stuff back. Your senior year, you could have a TV, stuff like that.
3: Yeah.
1: No distractions. You got to stay focused during. or yeah, yeah. show that, you know, you're, you're, you're there for the, for the training. Yeah. That's awesome. So then you graduate and then uh, obviously, uh, I mean, not everybody goes to be pilots though through the air force academy they become officers in other parts of the air force
0: yeah so um about a well at the time when i was applying about a third of the class was getting pilot slots you had to be in the top third by the time i graduated they had more pilot slots than they had um medically qualified candidates so it just kind of you never know it's all over the place it just depends on the needs of the air force so i was lucky yeah. uh, I, I did graduate in the top third and i got NJEPT. um but there it was i just know based on my academic record um i graduated middle of the road academically my military r- grades you know that we evaluations got me moved up in the class um, and I knew I was going to have to have something like that to be competitive for that N.J.E.P. slot. So it all, it all did work out, but man, it was just like, I mean, everything I did for like a 10 year period was <laughs> even after graduating, getting into pilot training until I actually got my wings. It was everything I did was with that intent.
1: Yeah. And then, so you said you went to the the, the school where all the NATO pilots go mm-hmm. in Texas. Is that like the Air Force version of Top Gun
0: no, the so Top Gun is what you would call that in the Air Force is uh, Air Force Weapons School, and that is where they take the best people from each fighter squadron, like one or two, every year or two, and they send them there to become the best instructors in the Air Force, and that's so the Top Gun program in the Navy is kind of similarly built, where they take really excellent pilots and put them through this training course. And then they send them back out to their squadron to be the subject matter expert on tactics and weapons and enemy stuff and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's not basic pilot training. Um, the the Navy has their own basic pilot training courses as well. Um, I think it's in, um, Pensacola, maybe I forget exactly, or, uh, Corpus. I forget. Um, it's been a while, but, um, Undergraduate pilot training is literally you are a brand new young officer, and your job is going to be instead of going to be a finance officer in the Air Force or, you know, um, Intel or whatever, you're going to go fly fighters. So that's your that's your training. So you're in this training pipeline for a long time. You graduate college, you get your commissioning, then you go to pilot training. You're in that for another year. So you're not you're not doing the mission. Even after you get your wings, because then I after I got my wings, I went to fly the S sixteen, but I had to train in that. So it's like a, yeah. over like a two year course or total time from when you start flying or like day one of ground school until you actually get your wings and then get your you know, your your actual airplane that you're gonna have as your tactical weapon. But even then you're not qualified to use it like as a weapon yet. You have to go to your actual squadron. And then they do your final certifications to make you a combat pilot. So it is a long, long process. It's a super long pipeline.
1: Gotcha. Well, you know, it's an important, important job, so it should require a lot of training. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, so you know, then you are going through that, you earn your 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 way through, and then you earn your wings. Like, what was that? Uh, how?
0: What was that moment like for you? And um, pilot training was the hardest year of my life. Um, it was the first time I think I, I, ever, I couldn't, I wasn't immediately one of the best in the room at, at everything all the time. Um, even at the Academy when I, my grades were so, so, and I, I wasn't, I was never going to get, I never in my life got straight A's and, um, I wasn't always the most talented student most things i got myself involved in i was really good at really fast and was always in the top couple pilot training came around and um i started off really really hot and did great in the first airplane the first six months and then second six months we switched airplanes to the t38 and it was a completely different kind of airplane the wings are different it flew different everything about it was totally different and um I struggled through a little bit of it, and I saw the other people, you know, my peers starting to climb, and my confidence just went, poof, and I had to work through that, and that was probably the the most challenging chunk of time in my life up to that point because I had never I'd never failed before anything really. Yeah. I mean, and I was scared that I wasn't going to make it. Cause it is extremely competitive and these are, this is an elite group of people. Um, eventually I kind of, I started to figure it out and then I climbed, you know, climbed the rungs back up into, you know, getting, getting a good assignment out of there. But there was a chunk of time that um I wasn't sure I was even going to make it through. And that was the most challenging year of, um of my life up to that point. And uh, I, um, Getting the wings was so exciting. And it it meant so much because I knew what I had put into that. I had put all those years going into it of all the, I would say, like, the dedication and um, self-discipline to work hard and stay focused for all that time. (coughs) But that payoff at the end because then all of a sudden it was hard. Everything up to that was easy it took discipline but discipline for me was easy you know i i just did all the things that made sense that i was supposed to do this was the first time that i didn't know if i was going to i was going to was going to make it through i think a lot of people deal with that at the air force academy cuz you're you're yeah. among some of the best students in the country and um sometimes guys really struggle there or sometimes you know people that's the first time they weren't the best in the room and but it took me to pilot that? training
1: do you feel that was a process that you needed to go through, and now looking back, you're grateful for? You know? I mean, I, I would
0: say uh, it's deeper. It's different than it's not quite that. It's the Air Force never taught me how to deal with failure ever. The military's really not good at that. No. They they make it scary and they make you believe that the stakes are so high. That you can't fail, and that's not—that's not that it's not true. The stakes are high sometimes, but it's very easy for you know some people, maybe my personality, or other people with personalities like mine, to take that to a, a maladaptive place or to a place where it's you're taking it too far, you know. Um, and this is where I think jujitsu has been. Uh, I always say this: I would have been a better fighter pilot if I had done jujitsu first. If I had gotten into that sport, because jujitsu is what taught me to lead, deal with failure and use it as a tool. Yeah, military never teaches you that.
1: No, they don't, and they and don't. then they leave you like kind of thinking like, I mean, because there's love. Oh, he froze I lost you froze you for a second. second. Yeah, yeah, I lost you. Yeah, I'm here. All right and um yeah so then you carry that and you get stuck in that like fight or flight thing which we'll get into a little bit more but um so one thing i wanted to ask too real quick um you know you graduate you get your wings how was that to experience with you know your mom and your your family that you know supported you through that well you know there's
0: (laughs) they were obviously you know really proud um but there's also pressure too, you know, and that's something i I, I learned that later on in life like I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed, probably because of what I saw happen around me in Cleveland, yeah where um, the economy in that part of the country just completely got torched and fell apart and I knew so many people whose parents lost their jobs and um, i th- that may have been another part of this whole fear of failure thing because I I did not want to end up in a position where something like that could happen to me. I was going to do everything I could to um, give myself as many options and be as marketable and everything else as possible. And uh, I mean, they were obviously my family was always supportive, extremely proud. Um, but there were, I also felt a lot of internal pressure to not mess it up. And I think yeah. that's another thing. Another reason why pilot training was so hard because I thought, well, if I, if I don't make it through this, then what? I didn't have an answer, you know? Um, so I do, I absolutely appreciate that they were supportive um, of me and everything else like that. But like we all, we all have our own little demons and all the little ways we think about problems that aren't helpful. And um, yeah. I, think, I think watching what happened around my community growing up um, made me feel like I really had to knock it out of the park. Yeah. And that was a stressor that I carried with me for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. I, I sometimes I feel like I still carry it, you know, but, um you know, I want to ask you some of the questions I asked uh, veterans about their time in though. Um What were uh some of the oddest things that you witnessed or
0: experienced? <sighs> you know, they always happen on deployments because there's so much time, you know, you're sitting in Iraq and there's just not not always that much going on. So um guys just, you know, it you'd sometimes when the you know you'd dump the fuel out of a or you turn an airplane off and you know it's there's fuel coming out of certain places and the crew chiefs would capture it, you know, with a plastic bag or whatever. And you know, sometimes they they they'd get bored and they'd catch it in the plastic bag and they'd run around behind the airplane and they'd throw it behind one where the engine was on and watch. like, guys, what are you <laughs> What are you doing? Don't do that, you know. And then, and, and guys would get in trouble for doing stuff like that, you know what I mean? But they would do it anyway, and you know, silly, silly, goofy things like that. I mean, that was usually the kind of stuff that <laughs> it was always on deployments where people were coming kind of up with yeah. ways to ways to uh, deal with their boredom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, D- dangerous, destructive ways we deal with our boredom. Yeah, I mean, luckily yeah. with that sort of thing, they weren't doing anything that was, you know we're going to damage an airplane because it's behind it, you know, but still. Yeah.
1: But it's like I, being at a good idea. <laughs> being at a KISS concert or something. Uh, yeah. You, know, and the you can try up.
0: anything once, right? Yeah. If you survive, then, you know, learn. Yeah. If you survive. Yeah.
1: And then um, what would you say is like one of the worst places that you served at uh, without breaking OPSEC? Uh, worst.
0: Um, you know, I, I think Korea, it was, Korea was awesome because the, where I was, we didn't have any families there. So as a young Lieutenant fighter pilot, all you had to do was study, but it was hard being away from the U S for a year or two. And it was interesting to get to explore the country and see something completely different, but you did get homesick. I mean, it was it was um, a long year and um, I think the infrastructure there on the bases and stuff, I mean, it's, it's sort of almost like a deployment, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a deployment, but the dorms we lived in weren't great. And the heater would break a lot. So sometimes I'd just turn the oven on and leave the oven door open to get heat in the winter. And then sometimes the water from the hot water heater would be brown because they didn't change out the hot water heater. So you let the, the water run And then there were a lot of mosquitoes, so I used to sleep with a fan on because they wouldn't land on you and bite you in the middle of the night. (laughs) So as much as the desert was like, everybody's really familiar with, most of us who deployed to the desert are familiar with what that was like, especially if you were in the summer. Um, The, you know, my deployment to Iraq was five months or was four and a half months. Uh, It wasn't as long as a lot of the, you know, Army and the Marines have, you know, those, as those deployments got longer and longer and longer. Oh, yeah. But that year in Korea was, was tough. Um so I would I would probably say that, that it was it was awesome, but it was also hard. Um because of the day-to-day you didn't have the, the day-to-day niceties that you would have at a normal base. I think when you're deployed you kind of expect it's gonna suck. Yeah. But Korea was kind of a weird, especially where we were at, um the base could have been better. <laughs>
1: I remember during my last deployment, um, in, in Kuwait, you know, it's like, and, and, you know, I'm, I was with the Navy, but we were there on, you know, doing, working with the army at Airfjan, but we'd always, uh, and it was a 10 month, uh, deployment, but I, I remember we would always like, whenever we got Liberty and were able to get permission, we would take the shuttles to, uh the air force base because you guys had the best pool <laughs> yeah, <that's> and, <laughs> and all the that was like going to the resort for us yeah
0: but. yeah no, i know one time i uh, was flying states i went to san diego just to, to do some cross-country training with the airplanes and landed in north island it was hot that day and we went up into the the um, fbo you know the base ops for the airplane stuff and there's an enlisted person behind the desk, and I you know it's hot and they have a couple fans on and the windows are all open and we're doing some flight planning. And it's just brutal. I'm like I walk up, like, hey, do you guys have like a back room or like one room that's like air conditioned where we can kind of do this stuff? And she just looked at me like, sir, this is the Navy, not the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, like, noted in my bad. <laughs> Very well then. <laughs>
1: so that's awesome. And then what would you say is one of the best places you got to serve at?
0: Um, you know, I think, um, probably Salt Lake city and I was at Hill air force base and, um, it was beautiful place to live. The airspace was absolutely incredible. Um, a lot of the, like, I think I didn't really look at where they filmed top gun, but I, I would guess they did some of that maybe in the ranges out there in Utah. And that's where the Bonneville slot salt flats are. So when you see like car commercials run across like a, like salt flats or whatever, um, that's an area out by Wendover, Nevada, which is right on the border of Nevada and Utah. And that whole area is huge area is, um, airspace that we can go in and train in the airplanes and we can drop live bombs in certain parts of it. There's supersonic runs you can do. You can do, um, all kinds of stuff. It's just fantastic. Uh, nice. really, really cool. So like, even though Korea was a good place to learn to be a fighter pilot, the airspace there wasn't as good. Um and it's not good in a lot of places. Um, you know, you do the best you can with it based on, you know, the geography and maybe even the, the cultural stuff below you, like is it a metro area or what? Well, this this desert out west of Salt Lake is just fantastic. Um it's super awesome airspace. So that was that was the most fun flying, I think, that I got to do nice. with the F sixteen. And then what
1: uh What pet peeve do you have with uh, civilians since transitioning out of the military?
0: Hey, uh, my cousin, Charlie was in the air force. Uh, His name is is Charlie Friedman. Do you know him? (laughs) No, don't know him. (laughs) I think that's, that's one, that's one question that just, no, I have no idea. but, you know, I had a – my transition was gradual, too, because I joined the reserves after active duty. So – and I yeah. – at the time I left active duty, I was flying uh, T-38s as an instructor pilot. And um, I left the active duty, and the next day I put on a different set of patches and then did the same job. But instead of doing it every day, I did it about six days a month. And at the same time, I got hired by an airline. So. Um, I started to get the transition into, and a lot of airline pilots have a military background too. So, um, it wasn't, there was not really a clean break for me, you know, from like day zero civilian. It was, you know what I mean? I always had kind of a, a foot in two worlds for a long time and that helped with the transition a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that would. And then what is something that you'll always carry with you from your time of service?
0: Um, you know, I, I, this goes back to uh, my Air Force Academy days. And you get an excellent education there. But I think um, one of the things that they really <clears throat> taught you how to do process-wise was how to solve ill-defined problems. And that, that was incredibly important in terms of military leadership and military decision-making too. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, where you never have perfect information, you never have enough resources. But you know when go time is. Yeah. So you have to try to um, solve the problems with a limited set of resources and then make the best guess you can with what to do and then execute. You know, you're know, you never going to have a perfect plan. You're never going to have all of it all figured out. And after a little while, it's going to fall apart.
3: <laughs>
0: yep, it usually does. So then you have to be able to adapted think on the fly so that solving ill-defined problems i think was i've I've used that my entire adult life and it was a yeah. skill they taught us at the academy
1: <clears throat> and then what's one of the funniest stories you feel you can share about your time and service um
0: how bad can the language get on this oh it's a it's a uh it? you know censorship free <laughs> okay it's not that bad i just want to make sure if i throw an f-bomb in there it's okay yeah so, um, this is pretty good. Uh, or it's, it's kind of funny. There was a, you know, when pilots get their call signs, it's cause they, uh, you know, the squadron names them. And a lot of times it's when you dork something up. <coughs> so one guy, this is back in Korea. Um, he's taxiing down the, the, uh, taxiway after his flight. He was a brand new guy, new on the base. We are small base. We knew everybody and, as he was taxiing, he went to turn off a switch in the F-16. But instead of hitting the correct switch, he hit the battery. Turn the battery off, and what this does is it turns on this auxiliary engine that is meant to power the airplane if there's an emergency and the engine shuts down. When this happens, it sends a squirt of smoke out, and it's a it's a fluid, it's a chemical that's pretty nasty, and uh, you you don't really want to be around it. Um, but if you're looking at the airplane from the tower, it looks like it might be an engine fire or something. So, um, the guy in the tower, the soft who's, a, who's a pilot in charge of flying sees this guy taxiing, trailing smoke and he tells the guy he gets on the radio, he says, Hey, stop the airplane, turn on the parking brake and get out of the airplane. Well, we have a procedure where anytime you egress the airplane, you got one of the steps is turn off the engine, right? Because you don't want to leave the engine running. You want to kill everything and then run away from the airplane. Well, this lieutenant did exactly what he was told. He stopped the airplane, he set the parking brake, and he opened the canopy and got out with everything still running. <laughs> so now he has a 16 on the taxiway. You know, lot brah, right. making all this noise, the hydrogen spilling out, There's and then the Emergency response vehicles all come up there because they think it's an engine fire, and they get out there. They realize what's happening, so then they have to get the guys come out with their hazmat suits on because of the the chemicals that are coming out of the airplane. They have to sit there and wait for a certain chunk of time before they can go in and actually, you know, kill the engine and uh, and put the airplane away. So his uh, call sign was huge. It was F U G E for fucked up ground aggress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that was that was how if you got a good call sign it was, you know if you did something pretty funny or pretty good you'd get a a, a good reminder of it for most of your career after that <laughs> yeah
1: i was going to say it's probably wouldn't have been his first choice to to have on his uh patches or whatever no <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> 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 so uh then speaking of which I, I guess uh blitz was was your call sign
0: yeah it's kind of, it's they i it's a little bit of a play on my last name because it's a very german name um like blitzkrieg blitzkrieger Kreitzer, and um uh, the stands for boys laugh is too zealous because sometimes we'd be in the bar and I, if I get a little, have a couple drinks, my laugh would get pretty out of control and pretty annoying. So that's where I got mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. And then what is your uh, greatest hope, uh, for the country that you've been willing to give your life for?
0: Um, I really want to see this divide, this partisan divide, get shorn up a lot. Um, and I think, you know, we, we talk about this culture war and all these problems that we're having. And, and I I think so much of it's just based on technology yeah. and what the way technology funnels us into our own little camps. Because it's really, you know, and this is something from jujitsu too. You know how easy it is to read something on Facebook and get pissed off at somebody and just make, all these assumptions about who they are and what they're like and that you don't like their attitude. You don't like them. If you're in the gym with them and you interact with them, the way we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis, face-to-face, you stop caring. Yeah. You don't care about people's politics. You don't care about who they voted for. You care about them as an individual and as a person because they're in your circle and you're their friend. And, um, we get that in these communities in jujitsu, and you know, where we're together every day, we're working hard on the mats together, we're trying to learn a skill, we're trusting each other not to physically hurt each other. Yeah, and Facebook and Instagram, all that's lost. And um, I think that way of communicating, it's not so much that America's changed, I mean, it has some, but I think it's how technology has changed how we act and how we interact that has hurt us. And I, I hope we're never all going to get along all the time and agree all the time, but I hope we find a way to build relationships with each other that allow us to see past some of those differences and figure out, you know, we all bleed the same, but we forget that online, you know?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I'm glad you, you mentioned that too, about, um, you know, the differences we get to learn about each other in the gym, because like, you know, I've been just as guilty, you know, of, you know posting the go running on feelings and posting things out of emotion that you know or I'll see somebody else's thing and be like, man, I can't believe they're saying this nine yeah. times out of ten I'll scroll past what I don't agree with you know without <laughs> chiming in you yeah. know but I'll post something and it seems like i then you know everybody pile on me and I'm assumed uh to be a certain a, a yeah. certain way or whatever and uh the funny thing is with with at my gym is the guys. uh I, I I question a lot of things because I I I mean you know I did like you we both were in the government for a very long time so you know you kind of learn I don't know me my 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 trust <laughs> is kind of lower so I question a lot more things which you know gets me labeled uh, you know being a conspiracy theorist I guess a lot of times so the guys at, at the mats say oh you believe the world's flat too don't you and stuff like that and it becomes. <laughs> you know, joking around like that. So, um, and then just to prove them wrong, I actually had a flat, flat earth guest on here, trying to talk oh, about yeah. flat, flat earth at one point. I'm like, all right, well let's go for it. Let's hear what he has to say, you know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, but I've had this talk with my friend and, and my coach, you know, like, he's like, you know what, you got to get off social media, you know, because when you're here, yeah. everybody likes you, you know, Cause they get to know you, they get to know yep. you as a person and, yeah. and we realize you're a good person and a friend, but, and I'm like, yeah, man, I, I gotcha. You know,
0: that's, so. that's the thing. I, I think that we don't, we, it's, um, we, to other people, we usually appear pretty one dimensional when they're looking at what we do online, when they're looking at what we post, what we talk about, um, depending on the kind of stuff we like to post and talk about. But none of, nobody's that one-dimensional. No. But you don't get to, until you're in the room with a person, you don't always get to know. So um, we make all these assumptions about people based on what they're throwing on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, we fail to see how we're similar. And we fail to, to know how we would get along if we uh, had other context in which we knew the person. And I think that's one of the awesome things about jujitsu is because there's, I mean, jujitsu brings everybody in, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it. and when you're in the gym, people just, they don't care. You know, they don't, they don't care what your politics are. They care. You build, you're building relationships, not making adversaries, you know, for the most part. Yeah. That, that's been my experience in the gyms I've been in. And,
1: no, I in the, agree. You know, and uh, you know, I want to roll into more uh, of the jujitsu conversation and uh, what you are currently involved with now. But one last question from the military side, which I think will help lead to why you're involved with, uh, you know, we defy, but what do you feel we can do to break the stigma of uh, mental health and PTSD?
0: Well, um, I think that what we realize and I think what I've seen some veterans realize especially if you're when you leave the service if you had a traumatic experience while deployed or not even necessarily deployed but that's the common one because of the war we you know that the never ending war we were we were in so recently um a lot of times individuals label themselves or they decide i'm a veteran i cannot get along with civilians i can't trust them i can only trust people a b c and d and if you look at the experience they've had you understand why they feel that way you understand what's causing them to make those determinations um i think what we have to do sometimes is learn how to maybe let, a, let go of our own labels a little bit, labels, the peop, labels we put on other people and the labels we put on ourselves. And I think one thing we learn in jujitsu or in the community of jujitsu, if you're there long enough, is no matter what you're dealing with, eventually you're gonna figure out that everybody has a story and everyone is dealing with something. It might not be trauma from military experience, but nobody gets through 20, 30, 40 years of life without experiencing trauma of some kind.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that um you you don't get cured of PTSD. I don't think, you know. I mean you, there's clinicians out there who probably say, you know, sure you can. I'm not a psychologist, but um most of the time it's learning to cope with it. Yeah. And once you've come to terms with the ability to cope with it, a lot of times the symptomology even gets better and better. It gets easier and easier. But it's that learning to cope part that um, I think that that's the part of the stigma that we need to get rid of, that you can't cope, that everyone, or that everyone is screwed up, you know, or everyone, everybody in the military is, you know, or a lot of people in the military have PTSD because blah, blah, blah. Well, we're all messed up. Everybody's screwed up. Yeah. Everybody's got trauma in their life. Yeah. You know, that's normal. That's part of, that's called life. The severity of the trauma, you know, can change. But the fact that we can relate to each other because we recognize that I'm not the only one. When you have severe PTSD, um, anxiety, depression, things like that, we become very um, self focused because of the discomfort of what we're feeling and coping with. Yeah, it becomes harder for us to recognize that other people are experiencing the same thing and that we're not actually alone.
1: Yeah, like after my last deployment and then, um, you know, which kind of, you know, luckily I was able to get my 20 and retire. But, um, you know, there's a lot of having to feel, you know, uh, I'm I used to numb out, you know, with alcohol and whatever drugs I could sneak while I was active, you know to to numb out, you know, or, you know, do other things to to numb out, you know, other uh, unhealthy activities. And then when I uh after my last deployment, you know, I came home and um was going to lose my family, my daughters and decided that you know, I needed to change. So I got got sober mm-hmm. and I've got 13 years now of sobriety, awesome. which I'm proud of, but you know, the problem with that is I don't have I, I'm not, I don't, I don't have my, my crutches to numb out. I have to start mm-hmm. feeling all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and then I had to find other ways, like you said, of coping with these feelings with being in my own head yeah. and anxiety used to be so, so bad. Um, <clears throat> You know, and it still gets bad at certain situations where it'll come up, but now I know I have tools. One of the tools that I've utilized that helped me with my uh social anxiety and self-worth has been doing this podcast. This is sure. therapy for me right now just having a conversation with somebody I just met. Yeah, You know, which is like, you know, being out in public with a stranger. Oh, hello. You know, my my sponsor <laughs> told me, you know, reach in pocket, pull out card, you know, hi and extend hand, you know. Um yeah. Just like the simple things that seem to be were overwhelming and too much but sure. um you know as time's gone on, and the different things I've been able to do that have helped me live more normal and feel and experience and cope with you know ups and downs, I was able to uh you know find out about your organization. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, like I said, I think I don't know if it was before we went on there, I was talking about you know, I experienced a little bit of jujitsu, but I was just an army. Mm-hmm choked on me. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> that didn't leave me, you know, and it didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. But I had a lot of friends in the jujitsu community that I the, the plus on social media is I got to watch their journey. Sure. You know, yeah. like a little yeah. like voyeur or, or whatever. You know, yeah. but I see how well they're doing and how well it's affecting them. And I'm like, man, I want to do that, but then I come up with all my excuses with my aches and pains and weight and health and uh um, yeah. you know or the fears or the, just the mental fear. And I would listen to Jocko and he'd be like pumping jujitsu. And I'd be like, and then finally I just through doing some deep therapy and, 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 you know, even hypnotherapy and stuff. I said, I got to set some goals for myself and I got to make out and do it. And you know, I reached out and, you know, learned about your guys' organization. Mm -hmm. I also reached out. Thankfully I got, you know, I'm friends with the guy that runs the gym that I train at, you know, so I was just, I was able to reach out and say, Hey, I need help and I need accountability. And, um, it's been, it's been an awesome journey. Am I as diehard as, you know, I'm, 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 you know, not, I, I you know, I'm like many of the guys that say, man, I wish I would have got into this when I was 19. Or like yeah, you said, before for sure. you went away from, <laughs> you know, Air Force Academy and stuff when I had a younger body, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've realized instead of comparing myself to all the the guys that are, you know, in good shape or, you know, the younger guys and stuff like that. Am I doing, am I doing better than I did yesterday? You know, am I doing, am I still showing up and doing the best I can, you know? And it's been great because it's been such a good environment, especially the school I'm involved in. They make, make it like a family, Yeah, you know, and it's almost Mm -hmm. like being in a new you know, unit or squadron yeah. almost, you know, cause there's the ball busting and the, you know, but it's all out of love and everybody just helping lift you up. And uh, so far that's what I've learned, but I want to talk about how you got, you know, how, how, where your jujitsu journey began.
0: Um. So when I left the air force and we, the active duty and got in the air reserves, we moved to Minnesota cause that's um, where I was based out of for, um. My civilian job and uh there was a lifetime fitness that had a mma program so i thought that looks fun so i started just doing sparring and or not sparring i'm um, just pad work and um just mma conditioning and a little bit of ground stuff but mostly hitting pads and eventually i thought man this looks awesome i really i would really like to spar maybe get more serious about this and try competing i talked to my doctor he's like you know since you're a pilot and this guy was on the State Fight Commission and everything. He's like, I, if you were an accountant, I'd say, I yeah, go for it. You know, i an engineer, but, like, as a pilot in the FA and the certifications, the concussion risk is probably too high for that sport. I just don't think I can recommend it for Muay Thai and boxing. So Coach just said, why don't you try Jiu-Jitsu? Then I'm like, I, asked, I don't – that looks stupid. Like, I don't – that's not what I said. I, I, just, I remember watching it and thinking it looked horrible. Like, I, I'm – I was 170-something pounds, 165 pounds. And, like, I don't want – those 200-pound dudes on top of me, sweating on me, smashing me. Like, I want to hit stuff. Hitting stuff looks fun, or is fun. But they said, just give it a shot, and then I did, and I got hooked. Um...
2: Hey, baby, this is Double D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I got to tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Hoot Doggo. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well, then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, dream nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, proteins, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran owned and operated company today. And today's Boondog of fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code Boondog10 at checkout. That's B O O N D O G10 at checkout. So go to the link. That's dreamnutrition.com forward slash discount. Forward slash boondog ten. And remember, dream is not spelled like dream daddy. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them dream daddy and your brand from today's boondog sent you.
0: And In July of 2015, I said, okay, I'm only going to train jiu-jitsu now. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come. I'm going to actually, instead of just tinkering with it or looking at it from afar, I'm going to actually do this. So um, I'd started training jiu-jitsu, and then three years later, I was at a seminar, and it was a a, a fundraiser seminar for We Defy Foundation, and I found out what it was at that time. And We Defy Foundation is a nonprofit that sponsors disabled that's to train jiu-jitsu as a Kind of a therapy for their service-connected disabilities, and it was it had only been around since 2015, so it was about three years in when I found out about it, and I had been looking for another opportunity because um, I I was he- having some um, you know probably like depressive or type episodes where there was I said I had a you know kind of a gradual shift out of the military, but there was still this. Um, you know, this frustration of, what am I doing? Like, I'm not contributing anymore. I'm not doing anything that really matters that much. And I started to feel like I wanted to volunteer for somewhere. And when I found out about We Defy, I was like, that's it. That's what I want to be involved in. So I went down to their to the headquarters gym, and they were just starting to stand up a volunteer network at the time. So I was one of the first 17 volunteers with the organization. And um, over the years, I just started taking on more and more responsibility and helping it to grow and build a, a volunteer organizational structure, um, enhance the programming that we offer to the athletes. And, um, eventually got to the position I'm in now, which is vice president of the organization as a volunteer.
1: Wow. And then, um, so, so you were doing jujitsu before you got involved with We Defy And like, how, you know, how was it that you, um, I mean, you said you were at some event with We Defy, but then how, how has that journey been with working with other veterans and seeing, you know, how they've, uh, you know, how it's helped, I guess. A
0: few, a few months before, uh, that seminar, I was in Chicago, uh, and I was training at a gym and I, met a vet there and we were talking about Iraq and how he'd just come back and his wife was leaving and he was having a hard time with the job and he had no money and wasn't really able to train that much anymore. Um, but it really helped him. He loved being in the gym. He thought it was a great thing. Um, and then we talked for like an hour and a half afterwards. Cause I have a, an undergraduate degree in psychology and, um, that's what I studied at the Air Force Academy. And over the years, I have, at least on a layman level, stayed very uh, knowledgeable on different types of therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness training and therapy and um, trauma and trauma recovery. And we talked for like an hour and a half. And after that, he's like, you, you know, that was you framed some things for me in ways to think about that I have, no one has ever told me before. Even some of the therapists that I've had at the VA, Hmm. you should think about helping people because I think you have something to offer. And that conversation, like that's, that kind of helped put that bug in my ear. Like I need to do something. I need to get involved somewhere with something. I don't know what it is, but I need something else. I need more than what I'm doing right now. And then that's what led into, um, Weedify. So, what's been for me very fulfilling about Weedify is uh, it's kind of two major parts to it. One, the way my brain is built, I take inputs and chaos and create order. And that's just my brain just does that. So, as this organization was growing, it's been incredibly fun to find new opportunities. And as we get more volunteer staff ways to improve what we're doing or augment what we're doing and and continuing to just grow it, like grow upon layer upon layer, the satisfying part is the end result because we've got over 600 veterans now that we've sponsored with jujitsu. And I frequently get letters from people saying how much it changed their life and how they feel like they have camaraderie again and how they feel like they have sense of purpose again, or they maybe they quit drinking or they're making better sleep hygiene choices because they want to do better on the mats and how they're learning to trust civilians because of you know learning to tap out and that if this person's attacking you and, and they could be smaller than you but they're beating you up as soon as you tap the attack stops and this this is a soccer mom and she's kicking your ass and they're and you're becoming friends with these people that you don't think have you have anything in common with until you start to spend time with them on the mats and you start to, like I said before, you realize that everyone has a story and that you have things in common with a lot more people than you think you do. And that creates bonds. That's important. And that is very satisfying to see people that are struggling maybe with isolation and sense of purpose and trying to um, find success in something after the military. Because once you start stringing a couple of successes together, it carries over into other stuff. And I think jujitsu is a great way for people to get on that success track because you start seeing progress over time, you know, little by little. And all the other things that it does to support a healthy lifestyle um, can be a springboard to a whole other set of successes in life, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about my personal journey in it so far and like everything you're saying about, you know, just – learning other people's stories and stuff like that. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still, I've gotten a lot better, but I'm still like the King of self-sabotaging, you know, when, when, when I start getting closer, when I start having those successes and I start getting the compliments that I'm not used to getting because, or that I don't, you know, the voice in my head tells me I'm not worthy of or whatever. And then I'll just set myself back because I'm uncomfortable Like, I I mean, my trainer's been working me for a while and you know, I had a heart attack at the beginning of 2020. Um, and I'm probably only alive because he helped me lose like, you know, 40 pounds before that heart attack. You know, I, um, ended up getting COVID at the end of 2020. It hospitalized me because I've got compromised lungs from my time over in Kuwait and everything. But, um, which, you know, you know that, that's a whole other thing. You kind of need to breathe when you're out there live rolling and mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody's putting pressure on you. But yeah. <clears throat>
3: um,
1: I'm still, you know, I, 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 I get the compliments because the things that I don't see, the more experienced people are seeing because they're like, man, you're, 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 your body movement's different and you're doing this more and you're, you're you know, and, and the little things. And, and it helps helps me feel you know like okay maybe i can can do this you know i might gas out a little earlier than you know everybody else but if i'm getting this right why can't i get this right and why you know yeah and, and that's it, the key you know, part. My journey might be slower than a lot of the other guys but uh what's great is they're all so encouraging but like i said i've self sabotage where it's like I was losing weight and then I, I would go eat a bunch of crap and put it back on because I didn't I was uncomfortable, didn't know how to handle it. Or people are getting close and complimenting me and then I do something stupid to push them away, you know. But um the people at you know my school and and it sounds like the jujitsu communities are they're they're they keep pulling me back, you know. It's yeah, like I a, mean, I think
0: you know well, and what would you do without them? Like what would you do without that? activity in that community and that's we're not no one's perfect right we're not no one's going to bat a thousand like that's ridiculous like to but we expect but yet we accept expect that of ourselves sometimes you know yeah that so we cannot like, have setbacks that so we must not fail and yeah um, and i put that on myself and i compare
1: <clears throat> yep. myself to these young guys i do the same thing that are yeah, like they built for this you know yeah I'm going against and, athletes and I'm like, oh, this guy's coming in and he's creaming me. And then, then I would use it because I was the old man in the room. But then there's other guys coming in that are old like me and they're excelling. Yeah. I'm like, I can't use the old man excuse anymore. And then, you know, and then I find your guys' organization and I'm seeing, I forget what the dude's name is, but he doesn't have, uh, you know, he's missing limbs.
0: and he's Joe, out there. Yeah, there's Joey, Joey Bozik. He's the founder. He's got one arm. There's Ben Mazga, um, who is one of our, he was an athlete, he's one of our ambassadors. Now he's missing a foot and part of his leg. Um, I mean, yeah, these guys are doing incredible things with, um, you know, a, a set of um, things that make them different. And But the mats, they bring us all together. And I think for Joey, the triple amputee, one of the things he said is that he, what he respected and found, because this is different for everybody, but everyone treated him like an equal they nobody looked at him like do you need he, he tells a story about how somebody was trying to help him get in the car with his wheelchair and he's like, no I got it like I know how to do this and the guy just would not because the guy was trying to help but Joey didn't want that kind of help he's like I, I am self-sufficient I can handle it thank you I appreciate your kindness however I'm fine you get in the jujitsu gym and everybody's just beating the crap out of them just like they're doing everybody else and nobody gets quarter because they're they're whatever. But you're still yeah. taking care of each other too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your the goal but, there is for everybody in your program, in your gym, to get better at this thing. And Joey's it,
1: still showing up regardless. Yeah. Whether yeah. he's getting beat on or not. He's getting treated equally and he's yep. still showing up. And then that that's what I'm like, I gotta show up. I have no yeah.
0: excuse, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, we we inspire each other, your teammates inspire you to do things. Um the, the tagline for the foundation is "Prove them wrong," um, and we think about that externally a lot. Like, you know, the, you might have a counselor at the VA that says, you know, th- you have anxiety. These are, this is what you can or can't do. Um, you know, maybe a doctor says, you know, this is, you know, I, you've, you've had a heart attack. You know, I've, I've had heart issues too. Um, you know, you could have someone tell you that uh, some sort of limitation. Maybe family inadvertently out of love tries to protect you from stuff so they say you should only do a b and c but don't try d because you might get hurt or you might fail or that might not you might not be ready for that so this idea of prove them wrong is it's partly about telling you know proving all those external voices that are coming in wrong but really it's about telling the voice in you to shut up yeah it's really about proving that voice wrong because that's the one when we internalize those external things, that's the one that we start listening to that gets us into a problem. So prove that voice wrong and jujitsu is a great tool because it can help you find limit. You can go past what you thought were limits. And when you start doing it you start thinking, if I can do this, maybe I can do that and that and that too. Yeah. And that's, that's the goal. Like that's the ultimate hope is that these people find a great community. They find new uh, things about themselves. That they didn't know they were capable of, and then they translate that into gains in other parts of their lives. That's what we're going for. <clears>
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: It's funny. You t- talk about the people that, you know, um, you know, may have the best intentions telling you like, Hey, I, we don't want to see like my cardiologist was just like, Cause I'm going to be 50 this coming year. You know, he's like, you know, guys, our age should be, you know, swimming for cardio and stuff. Why do you want to keep doing this (sighs) jujitsu stuff? And I'm like, I just, I just, I just do. I just love being around in the environment. Now I'm not like signing up for competitions and stuff like that. I'm just trying to get better with my guys there. Now, as time goes on, who knows, you know, I haven't closed the door on that because I've seen a lot of other people like that inspire the hell out of me. Even uh jujitsu grandma on Instagram. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just saw, I just saw one of her posts come up again, which is, I was that the one she said I started when I was 69. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. There's like, there's one, I, I just came up the other day. I think that's been around for a little while, but it just popped up on my feed the other day. And I was like, la- la- Oh yeah. I've seen that a couple times.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even she's
0: inspired me.
1: Like yeah. I, I
3: yeah.
0: you know, when you go I, to like, if you go to the big competitions, like the, like worlds and stuff like that, and you'll see these guys. I mean, in fact, there's one at the head affiliation here in Minneapolis for our our affiliation. Um, I think he's 84, and he's a black belt. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go compete one more time. And like, <laughs> he doesn't really know me. This is back when I was a blue belt. This is a couple of years ago. But um, you know, older people can often decide who they're gonna roll with because, I mean, you, as you age, you have to respect certain things about your body that you're not going to be able to go full up with a 22 year old if you're 65 probably you know so i lock eyes with this guy who's you know over 80 and we've never met uh face to face and i kind of wonder is he going to ask me to roll and he looks at me and he looks away (laughs) (laughs) like very dis. like you're dismissed (laughs) i guess we're not rolling now fine (laughs) <laughs> but why would he he doesn't know me he doesn't know what my style is doesn't know if he can trust me yet because he's he's old enough a now that he's, at
1: the time too it's like yeah, right so like he, learned, he might have like
0: he might be control yeah, or he yeah. might have good control but he might not and i need to you know he's he's gonna probably look for somebody that's a lot more experienced that he knows that is not going to hurt him at that age you know um, but that's part of the thing too is we're taking care of each other we're not trying to hurt each other and yeah I think a lot of people that are trying to hurt somebody, this is the thing. When people that early on, I think when they have a lot of ego and they're trying to prove to the rest of the gym or prove to anybody that they can handle it and that they are tough and whatever, one of two things happens pretty quick. They figure out that they're going to get their asses handed to them bad because of how hard they're struggling and trying and like, trying to muscle through things. Cause they're getting exhausted. I mean, that's the thing is when you show up to jujitsu and you're new, you're using nothing but strength and you, you gas out so fast. I am so yeah. much more efficient now. You know, I'm, I am 147 pounds. I'm 45 years old and I might have the best motor in my gym. It's up there. Um, but these new guys come in, they're 220 pounds and they look at me and they're like, I can maul that dude. And then within 45 seconds, they're, they're, their tank is, their gas tank is gone because they don't know how to move in an efficient manner. And they're wasting all this energy. These guys either figure out that, okay, I really have, this is amazing. And I have to learn how to do this because it's super cool. Or the other side happens where they're threatened by the fact that they're losing right away a lot and they don't come back. And um, I think one thing I, my kind of gut feel and I haven't investigated this, but I think for a lot of veterans, once they get in those doors, most of us have a competitive enough nature that we're intrigued by what just happened. And we want to figure out why that little dude just beat me up. And yeah. and how do I how do I learn to do that? Cause that's cool. And like there, you know what I mean? That's that's the veteran piece, I think, or like I don't wanna throw it against the stereotype too much, but I do think for a lot of us. That have that warrior ethos, that warrior mindset, to come into that kind of environment and see something like that happen, we're intrigued and we want to we want to learn about it. Um, I think there are some people who that thought really threatens them, and pretty quick they're out. You know, yeah. I, that's that happens sometimes. But I, to me, it seems like, especially maybe it's just because of the um, the individuals that we're approving too, like. You, if you, want, if you want to be apply for the jiu-jitsu scholarship with us and you meet our criteria, we're not asking you to, to sign up. Most of these people are people that are looking to make some kind of change. They have already decided that they need or want something different. So they're already motivated to try. You know what I mean? Yeah. it's different than walking down the, the corner and being like, Hey, what's this? And, and being like, what's this place? And then walking out the door saying, yeah, that wasn't for me. A lot of the folks that come into contact with us, I think are already like, they know that they want something else. And I think that that helps to improve their success rates. Yeah. Pers- personally, I can't, I can't statistically throw numbers at you that say that's the case, but that's my gut feel.
1: Well, I've I've met, you know, uh, since I've been training at the uh, RTSC here in Cleveland, um, you know, every time I always, you know, whenever I meet another veteran, I'm always, you know, sharing all kinds of, you know, hey, have you talked to this person at the VA? I'm kind of like a networking guy trying to help other veterans out, you know, that are new. So, you know, a lot of people that still aren't aware of your organization and I've been like, hey you should uh, look into these guys, you know, if you want to try and get your first year, you know, or whatever covered. And they got really cool gear, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah. uh, I've been, you know, whenever we get new veterans, I like to try and send them, send them your guys' way. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, as your personal evolution has gone on like what 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 would you say some of your your highlights of your
0: jujitsu journey has has been um one of them was uh you know they're mostly through competition um i think the one that that meant uh one of the ones that was the most important to me was i came this is january of 2020 and i took my little he must have been seven at the time it took him to Cleveland to go see Dad, you know, who still lives in Medina, and my sister, and there was a grappling industries con- uh, competition there that that yeah. weekend. So that's why I went because I went and competed in it because I wanted them to be able to see me do this thing because my dad, like, I don't understand what this is. I know you love it. This this thing. So I'm, well, I'm going to show you. You're going to come watch me get in the fight on these mats and see if I hopefully win. So um, I I won the bracket, and when, right as the referee was about to hold my arm up after the gold medal match, I heard my son go, Daddy, off to the side. And I look over, and he just, he's smiling, he gives me this, like, thumbs up, and uh, I, I i busted up laughing on the mat, like, but out of, like, like, real joy, like, he gets it like that's actually this is why I actually brought him here and luckily like it's cool that I won so he got to see that but he understands what's happening and I wanted him to be able to see an example of of me like doing this um and that meant a tremendous amount to me uh personally to be able to have my dad and my kid see 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 me win a, a tournament like that um I think the other things that have been fun i I like the stage a lot um I love doing fight to win it's a um it's a really cool event it's it's kind of m m a style where you come out and you get a yeah. walkout song it's just exhibition is basically they just it's basically just had one
1: there. at i x center yeah they just had one a couple of weeks ago i
0: thought <laughs> thought about applying for it and coming out and yeah we we ended up
1: it. having a couple of our our guys from our team so yeah and like I said, we, my, my coach likes to run the, the team like a family. So it's like, yeah. if you're not competing, but you're on the team, you're there. You're supporting. There.
3: And so we're all wearing fun. our
1: colors, looking like the NWO, you know, or something, you so know, like a big posse, but we had like tables along the side and it was just like that, that was the, that was the opportunity where the light bulb went off because you come out to entrance music and all mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, I'd love to just do one of those,
0: you know? Yeah. And that's, I got to do that. And I came out in an old sanitized flight suit. So I took off all the rank and everything, um, all the patches with my leather jacket, sunglasses and my helmet to nice. danger, came out to danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I've bro. done it twice. And it's, it's so, it's so ridiculous and it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Totally. You know, and that's, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm 40, 45 years old. I get to do this goofy stuff. It's, I mean, it's, it's just fun. Um, and I also do compete at, the big ones like worlds and masters Worlds stuff like that and i've i've gotten third place in a world championship and first place in a world championship at different belt levels so um it's i mean it's it's cool to say that like what does it really mean well not that much because it just means that i was the best of the old small people that showed up in that building that day it doesn't mean i was actually the best guy in the world <laughs> but that's the title of the competition so sweet yeah. you know We've got eight of
1: our guys at the Nogi one right now. Okay, I am supposed
0: to go, um, but I, I got um, I tweaked my hip, and I I'm kind of using the next day or two to feel out if I can actually make it out. I don't think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna have to pull out. But um, that's what happens. You're old like this. You know, you train hard and you get nicked up. And I think longevity wise, I'd much rather pull out now than hurt myself worse miss nine months of training or something you know yeah for like a really for a silly injury but i got another day or two to be able to test it out and see um see where it is but gotcha um
1: and you are um i believe i read you're now a brown belt correct mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and then um what was uh i mean how satisfying has your progress you know or how you know, i mean what have you gotten out of this whole
0: journey I, I kind of already said, like, I learned how to deal with failure much better than I had in the past. Um, and you kind of hit, hit on this a little bit before. Um, it took me until halfway through Purple Belt to stop comparing myself to other people. Hmm. And <clears throat> towards the end of Purple Belt, I came to the conclusion that based on my size and age, I should lose 80 to 90% of the time when I roll in the gym. If it's, we're only talking about attributes, I'm old and I'm small. I should lose. If I don't, then that means jiu-jitsu has been a worthwhile endeavor, because I have learned how to do it. I've learned how to defend myself. I learned how to fight, you know, to an extent. Um, and my day-to-day matches in the gym are much better than like, I don't lose 80 percent of the time because <laughs> I've been doing this for eight years. Yeah. Because I committed to it and I practice hard and a lot and I love it. And um, when I finally came to terms like, with, look, dude, you're just a little old guy. It's okay if these 25 year olds are coming in here and you're struggling with it. I mean, even if they're new, you're, it's fine. That is normal. That's okay. That's, that's totally acceptable. So it's like learning instead of being like, no, I have to be number one. That, that conversation in my head has started to go away i don't have to be number one at anything it doesn't matter i'm still here making progress what i had to learn that
1: yeah what i'm learning to accept is like what you just said because you know I, i i beat myself up too, like comparing my with this comparison game quite a bit like i'll beat myself up more mentally than sometimes i get beat up physically when i'm in there doing it sure but um The thing I'm still struggling the most with is just, you know, just not being able to, like, breathe like a fully functioning person. And that's just like, you know, when I got somebody applying, like, pressure on top and you feel like you're drowning, man, I guess guess where I start winning is when I don't tap the pressure and I just say, all right, this sucks, but I'm not going to
0: die. This sucks, but I can cope with it.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to die. Just breathe slowly.
0: I remember early on for the first couple years, there were so many times when I just wanted to, to stop because I was under somebody big and strong that knew what they were doing and it was miserable. And I don't know if I panicked, panicked, but there would be that, that, that fight or flight systems activated. Right. Oh yeah. Um, And what's cool about that is that if you, you're using it the way it was intended. So, if you had this, is a little bit of the psychology behind some of why jujitsu works great. But if you have anxiety, depression on a day to day basis, that process is always going on in your body. Like PTSD yeah. triggers that. You know, it's a little different uh, structurally in the brain from PTSD to these other, you know, issues. But, you know, like anxiety, depression, PTSD are different. But there are some physiological components that are similar in terms of the fight or flight response. Well, when you're fighting in a match, you're actually using it as intended. So you're expunging all that junk. And when you get out of the gym, you might go back into these rumination loops and these thought loops that you had, but you gave yourself a little bit of a break and your body physically used that junk that it's putting into your body. All those, all that stress is putting in, use it for what it's intended for. So you're basically resetting yourself every time you, you go to the gym You know, every time you go to these matches. Yeah. Um, but what's cool about it is um, eventually you learn how to cope with the discomfort. You know, you learn to just say, yeah, this sucks, but I can deal with it. And I, I, I there is some point in my jujitsu history where that stopped, where I don't feel like that anymore. If somebody big and strong and better than me is on top, I don't, feel anymore like i have to i'm waiting for it to stop or wishing it would stop i know how to cope with it and i'm looking for my way out i'm looking to turn the tide and that's such a cool feeling when you when you get to that point but you only get there after you've been on the bottom enough times (laughs) (laughs) i know i
1: can't wait to get there because it sucks but yeah it's it sucks and I, i
0: distinctly remember for a long time feeling like these mo these panicked moments almost of like oh i i have this has to stop i have to make the stop you know and if it's bad enough then you can tap and then what happens the person you trust the person to stop and you build bonds with people when you do things like that
1: yeah you know a lot and yeah it's true it's just like how much of my pride though you know about like it's like one thing if you got me in an arm bar or something or in a choke but that you're just he's just yeah. like laying on me, putting a lot of pressure and I can't breathe and my face is up in his friggin' nipple or whatever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I want to tap because of that. that that's that's just, the
0: pressure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That just <clears throat> sucks. But that's but, the cool
0: thing is that you yeah. can. Yeah. And for some people, like for some veterans, that's a very therapeutic process because of what they saw deployed, where the only way to stop an oncoming attack was to do something potentially you know catastrophic depending on the scenario you know like what if there's a kid involved you know and you're deployed and it's a combat zone i mean it's just there when you're in war there are horrible things that happen sometimes some of which you have a little bit of control over and many of which you have zero and that creates a trust deficit in our community that's what happens to human beings when you put them in that position jujitsu gives you an opportunity to learn to rebuild trust with other people because you have control. You say, stop, they stop.
1: Yeah. And I like that,
0: you know, that, that serves, I mean, you think about military sexual trauma, you know, sexual assault, physical assault, there's a lot of, you don't have to be a veteran for jujitsu to be an awesome tool to help you cope with stuff. Yeah. You just gotta be a person.
1: I, um, and I'm still, you know, and, and like I, I said, this, the trust thing is still not a hundred percent there and it's nothing against the people that I'm rolling with. It's an internal thing that I'm still working through, but I see where it, it helps. And I just got to be cool with, you know, tapping and then yeah. and, and go through that and, let, and tap and let them get off me and then be like, all right,
0: they got off me. I can trust them, you know, yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's what I need to do. It's just, yeah, I mean, it, and it's, again, we're talking about incremental changes and gains, right? Because that's how you learn jujitsu too. You learn it just yeah. tiny bit by tiny bit. <clears throat> that's how we rebuild ourselves after trauma too. <clears throat> Once we find a tool set, it's not, it doesn't happen right away. And like you said, sometimes, especially with therapy, sometimes it gets worse at first because now you're actually confronting the things you were trying to run from or numb. You know, yeah. but now we're actually cope, dealing with them existing in them coping with them and learning how to move forward recognizing that they're present and it's yeah. okay
1: but the importance of finding a good good school and community in that you know is definitely and i thankfully i i feel i i've definitely found that's awesome i like that you know and yeah. and we're right by the airport so next time you come to town to
0: visit okay. uh, family
1: and stuff <laughs> you you know? pop in there yeah pop in man we love yeah, to have sure.
0: you i would love to that'd be awesome we yeah. got the i do that a lot
1: banner up on the wall so you know yeah, that's awesome yeah but um you know i want to get ready and wrap up here um <laughs> but uh before i let you go i want to ask a couple questions i normally ask guests on okay. here Um, who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today?
0: Well, I, I put mom and dad in there, um, because they always believed in me. And, um, my dad, one time he told me, uh, a really cool story about, I won't go into details, but it falls in line with that, like, when you're trying to protect somebody from failure, um, you do them a bit of a disservice sometimes. And my dad told me that he was never going to, he decided when he was a young parent that he would never try to do that to his kids. All he would do is tell them what they could do and never tell them that they couldn't do something. And I really do think that that because um, it could have been really easy for somebody to say Air Force Academy. If, in fact, I, I said I had a good I had a liaison officer. There was another liaison officer that I also worked with that pro- told my dad, I didn't know this, that told my dad I would never make it because my grades weren't good enough. My dad never told me that until I was like in my 30s because they said it, it didn't matter. That was irrelevant. You were either going to get in or you weren't. It was going to be based on you, and I wasn't, it wasn't going to be based on what somebody else said, so there was no point in telling you that. And if you were going to be disappointed, If you didn't get in, big deal, but you either going to get in or not get in on your own merits. And all I wanted to do was support you so that there wouldn't be this question or distraction, you know? Um, So I'd lump them together um, for sure. And they're the biggest ones. Gotcha,
1: for sure. And then, um favorite toy as a child?
0: Hmm, probably Nintendo. <laughs> do they
1: I, have a flight simulator I, on there. <laughs>
0: no, what? I, no, I didn't do. I played the computer flight simulators, but man, I, I got a Nintendo Switch right now, and I'm, I'm playing Zelda: Breath of the Wild on it. <laughs> nice right now uh it was either that or the little star wars x-wing one that i you know the x-wing that i had
1: oh yeah <laughs> nice and then uh any message you have for our brothers and sisters currently serving overseas um
0: you know just uh, keep up that good fight and you know when it, it, it's hard sometimes, and um, we even when you come back, like no matter how hard it seems like it is to cope when you're back or while you're there on a deployment, there's always a way. There's, there's always a way to cope, and you just have to find it. Um, and We Defy Foundation is a really fantastic model for providing a tool to one tool set to help do that Um, that's why I love being a part of this organization Um, because I do truly I do truly believe there's always hope and there's always a way to cope Uh, you just have to find the right tool set gotcha thanks
1: well, TJ man, it's been great talking with you, getting to know more about you, knowing that you're actually a uh, grew up a neighbor here. Yeah. <laughs> <and> everything <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> um but uh like real quick for anybody listening and wants to know more about We Defy mm-hmm. or how they could get involved and support it, where would you uh send them?
0: I send it to our website. It's uh wedifyfoundation.org. Um you can a couple things there. If you're a gym owner, you can learn about uh, the gyms that we select to uh, have the veterans that we uh, sponsor. If you're interested in volunteering, you don't have to have any military background or even be in jujitsu. We've got most of the people that are our volunteers are veterans that also practice jujitsu, but we have all kinds of demographics of practitioners and non practitioners that support us and help us. We've got about 250 volunteers now. And our entire organization is basically run by volunteers. We have about four people that we pay for certain professional services as contractors, but the entire board is volunteer. We have a tremendous amount of work and spots to utilize uh, people's talents if they wanna offer them to us. Um, And if you're interested in the scholarship, you have to have a DD-214 with an honorable discharge. You cannot be on active duty However, you can currently be serving in the National Guard of Reserves if you do have a DD-214 from an activation and you have to have an 80% uh, VA disability rating. If those are all things you have in service in a combat zone, then you can apply for the scholarship on our website and then put you through the process, evaluate your package. And if it all comes together, then um, we sponsor you at a jiu-jitsu school within a certain drive of uh, where you live.
1: Awesome. Awesome, man. Great organization. I highly uh, recommend um, uh, and uh, thank you for your, your part in my jujitsu journey. Oh,
0: yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be able to do it. <laughs> thank you.
1: And uh, real quick, before I let you go, uh, could you do me one last favor? Sure. Cut a promo ID for the show. Just introduce yourself and okay. you're listening to today's boondoggle.
0: Okay. Hi, this is TJ Kreitzer from Defy Foundation and you're listening to today's boondoggle. Awesome. TJ,
1: thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time getting to know you and hopefully, uh,
0: you know, hit me up when you come to town. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be super fun to come in there.
1: With his with his false teeth half yeah. out. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pushing him in with spoons. With the
2: spoons. Yeah. <laughs> remember, remember that time down in Puerto Rico? About that reminded me. Urban. Urban Gasparri. Gasparri. They go bourbon. and they get this loather would sleep his false <laughs> teeth are <laughs> falling out. That and was, so what they do, know, they get a spoon <laughs> and push his teeth back up. And leave have spoon on his chest. Or every morning he'd get out of bed and speak. He goes, "What the hell's going on here?" And laughing so hysterically.
3: And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall brought to you by today's Boondogger. www.anchor.fm forward slash todaysboondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via todaysboondoggle@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into Today's Boondoggle.